Welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. Hey, Fox River, how you doing? Woo, it's good to be here together. My name is Bill, if we haven't met. Um, hey, I wanna, I wanna share with you, I wanna tell you about one of the worst people in all of scripture. Uh, way to start on a high note, Bill. Okay, here we go. Here's, here's one of the worst guys in all of scripture. Um, he had a lot of power, but he used his power in some pretty, pretty horrible ways. Um, he used his power, he abused his power to um, sleep with another man's wife, and, and that man was one of his best friends, so he slept with his wife. And then um, when she became pregnant because of the affair, he eventually had that friend of his killed um, in secret. And then after that, he took the woman as his own wife and continued just to tell no one about it. Like there was the truth, but, but he had it covered. He wouldn't let anyone know the truth. And some of us know who I'm talking about, and other of us might be surprised that this guy's name was King David of Israel. Now you might be thinking like, man, I thought King David was a really good guy. And you were right. King David was and is a really good guy. So good that God refers to him in scripture as a man after God's own heart. Like this is elite spiritual territory uh, that David occupies with a few other people in God's words. So David is, is a legitimate all-star. You might be like, well, if he did such terrible things, how... How could he be regarded as, as one of the, the most godly men in all of, all of history? How is this possible? Uh, how is that possible? And, and here's, here's how. Because David received God's gift of forgiveness. Which leads to another question. Wait, now how is that possible? How could someone like that receive God's gift of forgiveness? And if you're asking that question, and obviously we're all asking that question together right now, that is one of the best questions that anyone could ever ask. And we're going to dive into the answer in our time together today. Now, David lived about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ by the Virgin Mary. Yet David received God's gift of forgiveness. We live about 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus Christ by the Virgin Mary. And God's gift of forgiveness is available to us today as well. And we just rejoice in that as a church because as Christians, as believers, just like David was a believer, we need God's gift of forgiveness. And if we don't receive God's forgiveness as believers now, we're gonna be stuck in this place, never able to move forward into that future that God has for us. Okay, And we're also thankful that God's gift of forgiveness is available to everyone today not only for us, but for those who haven't come to Christ yet. Because those who haven't come to Christ yet, if forgiveness wasn't available, they would be stuck in a place apart from God and apart from his grace forever. But God makes that available. God's gift of forgiveness, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter where you fall right now in this moment on the spiritual spectrum of faith, God's gift of forgiveness is available today, and, and, and it's predicated upon this truth that there is no future without God's forgiveness. So this question that we're trying to answer, this, this, this gem that we're going after together is this, how do I receive God's gift of forgiveness? Like, like how do I get that good gift? We're gonna go to God's word for the answer together, but before we do that, it's very important 
that we pray. We're going to invite God into this endeavor, into this adventure of trying to figure out what he's telling us, and we need his help. Because if we go at this alone, we're probably not going to find the answer that we're looking for. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. It's a gift. We just take a moment together as a family here at Fox River just to say thank you for that gift of today. You didn't have to give it to us, but Lord, you chose to. And again, we just say thank you. Lord, in these precious minutes that you've given to us this morning for our family that's, that's across all of our campuses, here in the room, online, God, around the globe, truly, Lord, God, we hope to hear from you right now. We hope to hear from you and understand what you're trying to tell us, God. We're asking for that. And God, somehow, someway, by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we ask this as well, Lord, would you help us? Because we need your help. Would you help us to respond to your good news, to your good message by choosing to walk with you, by choosing to, to live differently because of the things you're gonna have shown us here in the next few minutes. God, above all of that, we pray most of all, Lord, that you would be glorified, not only in our hearts and in our minds, but God, also through our words and through our actions after having spent time together with each other and also with you, God, again, be glorified. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, if you would. 2 Samuel chapter 12, you can turn there on your digital device of choice as well, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And this takes place right after, remember all those things we rattled off about David, how terrible, the terrible things that he did? This takes place right after that. God sends the prophet Nathan. He sends Nathan to confront David in his sin. Now imagine getting that assignment from God. Like, okay, hey, I want you to go to King David. Yeah, the guy who's kind of off his rocker right now. He's killed his best friend. He probably won't hesitate to kill anybody else. Yeah, I want you to go to him, and I want you to tell him all the bad things because I got a message for him. Tell him all the bad things he's done because I'm not sure he realizes it like, like he should. So, so that's what happens. God sends the prophet Nathan, Nathan to confront David, and it's after all of that. And, and you just got to pause for a second. You just got to appreciate something. God goes to great lengths to get our attention, doesn't he? I mean, he's doing that with David. He does that with us. Listen, God goes to great lengths to get our attention. God is going to great lengths to get your attention. Let's see what he's got for us. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're gonna start in um, verse number seven here, kind of midway through verse seven. And this is Nathan talking to David. This is what the Lord the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, David, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Remember that guy who was trying to kill you for so many years? I kept you safe. I delivered you from his hand. Verse eight, I gave, you your master's I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, David, I would have given you even more. Why then did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite, one of your best friends. You struck him down with the sword, and then you took his wife to be your own. And David, finally, for the first time, he realizes the magnitude of his sin. And we see that in verse 13 where David says to Nathan, I have sinned against 
the Lord. So David finally realizes the magnitude of his sin. He's like, I've sinned. And then he begins, in those moments, he begins to feel something that theologian and pastor Tim Keller refers to as true guilt. Now what is true guilt? True guilt is simply defined as this, feelings of conviction from God after you've sinned. Feelings of conviction from God after you've sinned, all right? Now you might, you might be wondering, well, what's some examples of that? Um, here's, here's an example. Maybe if you've hurt somebody, maybe verbally, maybe even physically, or you've hurt somebody, or, or you cheated on your um, test or homework or something if you're a student, um, or you cheated on your taxes, right? We, we, a lot of us submitted tax returns about a week ago, and you, maybe you fudged the numbers, or you get money under the table, and you didn't report all the things that you should, um, and I know the system isn't fair. I'm not fighting against that. I'm just saying we kind of compromise some of the rules and you're feeling like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe you walk out of here, you know, an hour from now and, and you're like, man, I, I, I didn't buy ham and rolls from the teens trying to go to Nicaragua and I just, oh, I should, should do that, um, <laughs> you know? Um, and then maybe, like, here's the context, and this might be a little funny too, but, but, it, but it's true in this context what's going on in, in Scripture. Maybe... Maybe it comes because you've, you've murdered one of your best friends and you've taken his wife as your own and you've just kind of neglected to say thank you to God and acknowledge him in all your ways and you're just, you're just drifting, right? just drifting further and further into sin and, and you feel this true guilt. And, and here's how that conviction of true guilt happens. Here's how it takes place. Uh, sometimes God sends people, like we see here in chapter 12, um, that, that definitely happens, but the, the two primary ways that it happens, like how, how do we experience this conviction uh, uh, from God after we've sinned, the two ways are this. See, God has, has put into place, in each one of us, all of us were born with this, a, an inherent sin detection system, and it's called the conscience, okay? Now, now, each of us have this, and sometimes it gets skewed, right, depending on how we grow up and the things we've learned or the things we've been taught or our experiences, and, and it gets a little out of whack. That definitely happens, okay? But we're all born with this sin detection system, this conscience. We can tell the difference between right and wrong. No one has to teach us the basics of that. Every society, every culture, every person throughout all of time. That's the one way. The second way is this. It's Conviction from the Holy Spirit. All right, now for believers, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So when we do something wrong, we feel conviction from the inside. The Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? And we're just like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because every time we sin, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Like we cause pain to God inside of us. He's like, oh, what are you doing? And then he lets us know and we just feel that. Um, for those who haven't come to Christ yet, who aren't Christians, they get the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but they get it in a slightly different way. It's not from within because the Holy Spirit isn't inside of them, but the Holy Spirit is on the outside as Jesus describes in John chapter 16. All right, Jesus says, when I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And one of the things he's gonna do is he's gonna convict the world of sin. So the Holy Spirit convicts those who haven't trusted Jesus yet as Savior. He convicts them from the outside, right? Convicts believers from the inside, but he convicts unbelievers from the outside. Outside, So even if you haven't come to Christ yet, you still can feel totally just destroyed by the bad things that you've done because God is working on you. 
And true guilt, realize this, true guilt is something that, that we just can't seem to get over. You just can't shake it, all right? You, you, you just can't, because not only does the sin that we've committed, not only does it damage the people around us because we hurt them, but it also, if that sin or that true guilt is, is left unresolved, that also damages us, it destroys us. And it also distances us from God himself, again, if that guilt is unresolved. And sometimes we wonder, I mean, let's just ask the obvious question, right? A lot of us are thinking it, um, let's just put it out there on, in the open. How does a person, like David, for example, or like Pastor Bill, all right, how does a person like that, how, how do they do something? They, they love God, but how do they do something so terrible? I mean, because our natural reaction is, well, that person clearly isn't a believer in Christ. There's no way a believer in Christ could do something like that. Um, but really, I think there's a, a very, very different answer. And I think it has everything to do with unresolved sin or unresolved true guilt. Because check this out. Once you say no to God the first time, it's a whole lot, I don't know if we'll agree on this, but, but for me at least, it's a whole lot easier just to say no to him once more and then once more and then once more. And all of a sudden you've just drifted. You've gotten in this place you thought you could never be, but it's just your, your heart is becoming desensitized from God's conviction, right? This true guilt, because you didn't deal with it. When David was on the rooftop looking out, just, just, just chilling, and he sees this, this woman bathing on her rooftop, in that moment, he had, the, he had the option, he had the choice. Like, okay, am I gonna, am I gonna say um, yes to God, like turn away from that? Or am I gonna say no to God and continue looking? And when he said no, and he continued looking, he sinned. And it was really easy for him to say no again and tell one of his servants, hey, go get that woman. I wanna I want talk to her, <laughs> talk, right? And then, and then that was the next sin. And then when she got there, right, we're not gonna go further, we don't need to get graphic or anything, but, but it's just like things cascaded. That, that sin snowball was rolling downhill and it was picking up speed. That's how it happens. Whenever true guilt or sin is left unresolved. Now here's the good news. Sin or true guilt can be resolved. All right, what if I told you, right, not only that your sin can be forgiven, but it doesn't matter how badly you've blown up your life, there's a way to get through it. All right, man, I, I, I just, I really need to hear that sometime. I need that hope. I need just that, that thread of hope. Like, wait, wait, things are not over. This is not the end. I can, God's, God's got some good news for me, even in this, this spot that I'm in. And, and that good news, by the way, was kind of nestled in when, when David, uh, David was confronted by the prophet Nathan. I mean, there was a lot of bad news, a lot of confrontation, a lot of just, hey, you did this, it was bad. But inside of that, there was that glimmer of hope. What, what if I were to tell you that there's hope for you in your situation? What, what if you were able to relay that message to somebody you know that might be way off, they just kind of drifted away from God, or maybe they've never come to God and they're just drifting and they have been that way for years? What if you could deliver, relay that message of hope to them? Doesn't matter what your life is like, I know you're in a low spot, but listen, there's hope for you. No matter how badly you've blown up your life, there's a way for you to get through this. That would be a wonderful thing to relay to somebody, wouldn't it? I mean, watch this, this is Psalm 51. Uh, this is written by David right after he and Nathan have that conversation. And he's just devastated. He's like, oh, I have sinned against the Lord, right? And here's what he does. I don't know exactly how he did it. Maybe he, it was uh, five minutes after the conversation. Maybe it was a, a day after that conversation. Maybe, maybe it was immediate. Like he's like, hold on, I gotta go. And he goes into a room and he just grabs a pen and he starts to write. I don't know, but he writes this psalm 
this song, this poem, and he pours his heart out to God. And, and, and check this out. This, this is what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Not according to me. Not, a, not according to my sin, how terrible, how horrible, my abuse of power, my neglect of you and your goodness and your grace. Not according to me, but, but according to you. Lord, have mercy on me, oh God, according to your unfailing love. That's the only thing we can appeal to when we ask for God's mercy and grace. It's according to him and his goodness, his unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Like, wash it all away. Cleanse me, Lord, from sin. David is crying out, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. And then he comes to this, this just, just bedrock realization. He says, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Yeah, I've hurt some other people. I've sinned against other people. But in a chief sense, in a primary sense, it's against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight. So you are right, Lord, in your verdict. And you're justified when you judge. Like, if, if you rule me guilty here, like I'm asking for mercy, but if you say no, you're right in that. But God, if you give me mercy, you're right in that because you are justified when you judge. Verse five, surely I was sinful at birth, like guilty from, from inside the womb, from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Verse seven, and David cries out, cleanse me with hyssop. Cleanse me with hyssop. A hyssop branch, the same branch that the Hebrews put the lamb's blood on the doorpost at Passover. David said, cleanse me with hyssop. You hear the, the foreshadowings of Christ right in that, don't you? With the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He doesn't know exactly what's gonna happen a thousand years from now. But in faith, he's referring and foreshadowing Christ. Cleanse me with hyssop. And check this out, I'll be clean. If you clean me, Lord, I'll be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Whenever we feel true guilt after we've sinned, we have to do what David did in coming to God. We have to do these two things. We have to confess, and then we need to receive. All right, here's what confess is. Confess is simply just agreeing with God. That's all it is. All right? When we confess that Jesus is Christ, we're agreeing with God that Jesus is Christ. In this context, and what we're talking about today, when we confess about our sin, we're agreeing with God, yes, I've sinned, and this is what it is. All right? I'm a sinner, and this is the wrong that I've done. Confession is for believers. Hear this. There is a false teaching out there that says Christians don't need to be forgiven. That is just so anti-biblical, like so anti, and I'm not trying to beat any of us up, okay? So if you hold that belief, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not throwing a, a spear at you right now, okay? I'm just saying, and, and I'm gonna prove it to you in a second, but, but that is just, Christians need forgiveness. Christians need this gift from God, even after they've become a Christian, we need this. Because every time we sin, our relationship with God, it gets messed up. And we need that gift of forgiveness to bring us back into right relationship 
with God. All right, just like if, if you and I are friends and I sin against you, we're still friends, I hope we are at least. I, we're still friends, but, but man, something's not right in our relationship, right? Like, man, I need to confess, hey, I did this, it's wrong, will you forgive me? And once that takes place, the relationship has a chance to get better, right? And that's the same way with God. That's why confession is, is so critically important for believers. But confession, oh, and, and I said I proved it to you. I suppose I should be good on my word there. This is, uh, this is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what God writes uh, through the Apostle John, and the Apostle John is writing to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. That means Christians need to be forgiven. That means Christians need to be cleansed. That means Christians need to be purified of all unrighteousness, to be washed white as snow. Amen? Amen, absolutely. So confession is for believers, but confession is also for those who haven't come to Christ yet or are coming to Christ for the first time. Because when a person believes that Jesus died for their sins, here's, here's a truth. If you unpack that, if I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, I'm admitting that I have sins, that I'm a sinner. So confession is not only for believers, but it's those who are coming to Christ for the very first time. And whenever we confess our sin to God, here's the beautiful thing, we receive his forgiveness, like every single time. It's, it's the way God is. God has made a promise, and this is the way it works. We confess our sins, he forgives us. We receive that gift of forgiveness. How beautiful is that? I realized this. When I was 19 years old, I realized for the first time ever the magnitude of my sin. All right? I just felt, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Baby's crying. Okay, so it's like, I'll, I'll tone it down just a little bit. Um, uh, when I was 19, I realized, and I, I had sinned against God, and I realized, man, I've, I've done some terrible, terrible things, and I felt like absolute garbage. I know many of us can, can online or in the room or at any of our camp, we can identify with that. Like, man, I remember when I received Christ, and, and I just felt like crying like that, and, and just, you know, I just, just felt totally wrecked. And I remember I had to lean, because it, it was very difficult, I had to lean hard into the truth and into the grace of God and his word that if I confessed I would be forgiven. I had to lean hard into that. So I did confess. I chose to do that. And then I received God's forgiveness. Did I feel, still feel pretty terrible afterwards? Yeah, a little bit. But again, I had to lean hard into God's word. I had that true guilt going on. I had that sin in my life, and it was unresolved. But when I confessed it, God was faithful and just, and he forgave me of my sin. And can I be honest? Like, if you've never received Jesus, if you've never confessed to him, that, and, and you've never received his gift of forgiveness, I want that for you today. Your life will never be the same. It's gonna be different in so many good ways. Your eternity is gonna be wonderful. He's got that gift for you. Now you might say, how, how, could, how could God forgive me of something like that, right? If you haven't come to Christ yet, how could, he, how could he forgive someone like me? I've done some terrible things. He knows about them, okay? How, how, how could he I mean, surely this, this gift is not for somebody like me. And I'll say, yes, yes it is. And you might say, okay, well, well, how do you know that? Because God loves you. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. See, your sin, here's the part that the devil doesn't tell you about. 
Or he's comfortable with you hearing about the name of Jesus. He's, he's comfortable with you knowing other people believe in him and all that, but he doesn't want you to know this peace that your sins, you know, the ones that are, that are killing you on the inside, like, like your sins, they're already taken care of. Jesus already paid for them. They're, they're done, they're wiped out. Jesus, he's got his, his, his like spiritual stamper and he's like, Paid in full, like you can kind of see it, right? They're paid, they're all taken care of. The only thing left to do is for us to receive the gift of forgiveness. It's ready, it's prepared, it's waiting for you if you are ready to confess and receive that gift. He wants to help you. He wants to heal you from the inside out. Check this out, this is Romans Chapter 10, verse nine. Here's what God says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I can do that. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I kind of already believe that. You will be saved. Listen, forgiveness is only just one prayer away. And forgiveness is never more than just one prayer away away. God, thank you for that. If you have true guilt, confess your sin and receive God's gift of forgiveness today. Now that's true guilt. All of that was about true guilt, like the feeling of conviction from God after you've sinned. But there's also something called false guilt. And it comes in a lot of different varieties. We're just going to talk about one very quickly today. But false guilt, if you define it, it could be said that false guilt is this. It's feeling the weight of sin, but after you've already confessed and received forgiveness. All right? Feeling the weight of sin, like, oh, just carrying this burden around. But after you've already confessed it and received forgiveness. An example might be, I was, you know, if you're a parent, you, you might fall into this category, feel free to identify with this or just leave me on, on Bill Island all alone, no help, nothing, no, no lifeboat, nothing, okay? But like, you're mean to your kids, you overreact, you overdiscipline them or you're, you're cranky and just kind of, you know, you, you just yell at them for, and, and then overreaction, all of that. And, and you're like, man, I've, I've, sinned, I've sinned against, against those, those kids of mine. Um, so you, you confess your sin to God. And he forgives you because he's faithful to his word. He forgives you. And chances are, because these things go together, right? Chances are you also talk to your kids and, and your spouse about it and you say, man, I, I, uh, you know what? Dad overreacted. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me, right? And you have that conversation. But then after the fact, instead of feeling relieved because it's taken care of, it truly is, you just still feel just wrecked, you know, by it. You still feel racked with guilt. That's false guilt. Listen, you're feeling a guilt that you shouldn't be feeling. It's taken care of. It's over. It's done with. It's, it's like being on trial at a courtroom, all right? And, and all the, the hearings, the, all the court proceedings are taking place. And, um, and then at the end of the, the hearing, you know, just imagine the, the judge has his gavel and down comes the gavel and he says, innocent or, or, or not guilty. It's like when that happens, you're like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Your Honor, Your Honor. Um, sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> I am guilty, actually. Uh, bailiff, come on, take me to jail. I'm good, okay? It, it's like that, all right? And, and, and as Christians, right, we use that analogy, which is super extreme, but it's, but it's to make a point. 
It's like when, when we're dealing with that kind of false guilt that we just uh, talked about here, we see God, we see him on his throne. Um, but, it's, but it's like this. We say something else. We, we see God on his throne, but we say uh, God, I was a little awkward, but can you, yeah, just move, move, move off your throne because, well, I mean, we know that I'm the better judge here. So I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty. I know you say you forgive me, but you know, I'm just, I just need to pay for this a little more. I need to beat myself up a little more. And <sighs> Yeah. I mean, man, that's just, when you put it on the table like that, isn't it? That's, that's, that's ugly, right? False guilt, the kind that we just talked about, false guilt, man, that can get really nasty and really, really ugly. And in fact, it's sinful. And if we're dealing with that, like I'm not trying to heap guilt on top of guilt, but, but that's something that we need to confess too because the truth of it is we've, we've removed God from his throne in our heart and we've taken a seat on it as the better judge. And that's just, just really off base, isn't it? False guilt is some bad news. It's time for us to stop carrying that burden of false guilt around. I know this hits home for a lot of us. You've been carrying it around for years. Listen, it's time for you to walk out of that prison. I mean, the prison door's open, by the way. <laughs> like, you've confessed, you've been forgiven, but you're just continuing to stay in that prison. It's time for you to walk out. You don't need to carry that around anymore. You don't need to stay in that place anymore. Jesus died for our sins so that we would be forgiven. Jesus died for our sins so that we would be, we would be free. So be free. In the same way we confess by faith, right? Believing that God is gonna hear us and help us. In the same way we confess by faith, we receive his gift of forgiveness by faith as well. Believing and trusting that he's gonna forgive us of our sins, that he'll hear us and help us cleanse us and wash us whiter than snow. It's because of the gospel to people like us, because of the gospel that we can run to God in our sin and then walk with God as saints. It's the same gospel that first called us to Christ that continues to beckon us back to him over and over and over again. May the truth of our sin bring us closer to him. And may the truth of his word and the goodness of his gift bring us comfort. Some of us need comfort. May it strengthen us in our faith that we might live a life as people, not only made in his image, but transformed by his grace as well. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
I want to encourage you. I want to invite you, wherever you are in your faith, to confess your sins to God today and to receive his gift of forgiveness, maybe even for the very first time, but receive his gift of forgiveness again today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this chance to come to you as individuals, but also as a church. God, you alone are on your throne of grace. And you've given us this great promise that, that when we confess our sin, Lord, you forgive us. God, for those of us carrying around false guilt, remind us, Lord, that you paid for that, that sin. God, remind us that when we confess, we're forgiven, Lord Jesus, that you freed us, Lord. Help us to live, Lord, as free people. For those of us feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God, help us to confess our sin to God right now and just to lean into the grace and truth of your word, Lord, that when we confess, we will be forgiven as well. We'll be brought back into right relationship with you. And Lord, last but certainly not least, God, for those of us ready to receive Jesus for the very first time, God, hear us when we pray this prayer together right now. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe, Lord Jesus, that three days later you rose from the grave for my life. I'm ready to receive you, Lord. I'm ready to receive your gift. Please wash me white as snow, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you receive Jesus, I want to ask you to do something bold with heads still bowed, eyes still closed. I just want to ask you, would you raise your hand right now just to indicate the good work that God is doing in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. God, you are so good. You're so good. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast.